How do you live your life like tomorrow matters? Perhaps you're already growing food, consuming less, connecting with your community. Perhaps you're already thinking hard, keen to see the world a little slower, greener, healthier. But where to begin? Here on the Future Setting Podcast, we dig deep into the hearts and minds of blissfully normal people doing bloody amazing things, unearthing their moments of contradiction, their hopes and fears for the future, and what galvanises them to action, in the name of inspiring all of us to do a little more in shaping a better future today. I'm Jade, and this is Future Setting. I've actually uh, had the pleasure of sitting around and conversing for an elongated amount of time in person with today's guest, but um, I thought just before I I introduced him, I would do a really quick online search, and it tells me that this charismatic fifth-generation Aussie won a PM award for service to the international community. Now, that's pretty amazing. We're going to go back into that. Um, He is also a podcast host of a pod that amazingly until you rang me and said let's catch up I hadn't listened to now I've inhaled quite a few of them and there's still plenty more on the list um, called the regen narration pod and of all of the interviews I've done I have to say yours would be one of my favorite because you ask the most interesting dynamic questions and so today I actually want to have lots of conversations about the fact that you have had a lot of conversations and so I'm hoping there is a distillation of lots of different thoughts of the various paradigms that are at play in the world that we're living in and, you know, what regeneration actually means to you given the influences and the conversations that you have had. But the person we're talking to, because I haven't actually given you his name, is Anthony James, but known to lots of people as AJ. Hello and welcome. Hello, Jade. Thanks for having me. It's so good to reconvene, albeit not on a sunset at your place with the birds going, but, you know, here we are. It's good to connect. I know. We tried, but there was just too many moving parts at the time, weren't there? There were, yeah. And berries to be picked. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Kids to set loose on the field. (laughs) to give it give a job to yeah and so that that most of the stuff that I just got then on you was off your LinkedIn and I wanted Mm. to say if you could just say whatever the hell you actually wanted to say on your LinkedIn what would you say that you are if you had to introduce yourself what would you say Ah, it's funny you should say that I feel more than ever like I'm floating in the stream of let's just use the word but I'm conscious it can be glib regeneration and what I mean by that is that especially since the podcast started and then COVID came and podcast became pretty much the thing I do. It sort of, it, it was the one thing left standing type of thing and mm-hmm. it had been growing legs. Uh, and I feel like it's just sort of running its own thing now, even to the extent like I can't say the words, my podcast. It's, I sort of mm-hmm. feel like I have to treat it like it's, it's, it's its own thing. Entity. And I'm, and I'm just swimming with it mm. and um and in the heart the heartbeat the community heartbeat of the regeneration world that's a lovely way to put it yeah mm. so i reckon that that's probably the you know that's the the sort of overarching i guess feel of what to me of what i do is i just feel like i'm tapping into what is happening around as much because i'm as curious as all heck and of course hopeful as all heck that we're doing better than what otherwise you see by default almost, you know, in the major mm. institutions and certainly media. Um, 
that yeah, tapping into that and then sharing it, you know, learning and sharing is almost nothing else to it really. And then to see that, you know, you talked about meta narratives, what are some of the overarching things that are coming through? And I feel like, I almost feel like the very next guest I have on the podcast sums that up as much as anything. And his name is Kim Newen, and he made a film called Conversations with Coal Miners About Climate Change mm-hmm. for Vice. And it's it's just on YouTube, um, freely accessible. It's had a half a million views and, and counting at the moment. Wow. And so he's an Aussie bloke. He's from Sydney, um, was an activist uh, and serious frontline, you know, young guy who'd sort of seen the writing on the wall and go, wow, this is full on my futures on the line. I'm giving everything to it. He rode his bike from Sydney to Denmark for uh, for COP15, um, met the Prime Minister, got on stage and presented like uh, this whole background, what a right? Champion. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but then he realised it wasn't working. Mm. So he said, he just said, I'm going to go up to these communities that are, that are sort of used by politicians as the defence for not changing anything and, mm-hmm. and see if we can have conversations. And it was, it's an incredibly heartrending piece of film. And I feel like then it shows how much communities are used as political pawns and divided when actually at the core of things we share sort of universal values, if, if you like, about community and family and health and and, uh, and seeing landscapes back to health, you know, the whole bit. Um, and that this is happening everywhere, with, whether it's agriculture, whether it's, uh, whether it's, you know, energy systems, whatever it is in different parts of the country, whether it's First Nations and they're look, looking for self-determination and, and caring for country in, in their way, whatever it is, it's happening everywhere. It's speaking the same sort of bigger picture language, but we're being held apart and sold a different narrative. We're being sold a mighty pup. Um, and I feel like that's one of the biggest things. If we can keep our eye on connecting directly and not falling into the trap of reacting to what's being put in front of our faces for other people's agendas, that's, that's almost... Almost, it's one of the biggest punchlines, anyway. I reckon, out of my experience, mm, that's pretty potent. So you talk about community as pawns in a political game, and so do you feel like I know we talk about the um, mining communities as being at the coalface, literally, but uh, you know they're the they're the canaries in the coal mine that are telling us really what we're about to face into, and it feels like they are the first of of many. And actually I watched or spoke with someone last week who has just released a paper on on the fact that these coal towns are actually aware and actively seeking what the next iteration of their existence needs to be. They know that, that they're willing to accept it. It's actually the political drivers that are holding on to it and using it as as that that um, key messaging to push into the political arena that is undermining their own desires to, to move away from what it is that has kept them stable for so long. And, exactly. and we all buy into that because it's just it's the mainstream media telling us what we are used to being told. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, I was there. You, you know, so you you sort of everyone stacks in on the same assumptions. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's what I'm fascinated about this bloke with is that he just said, I'm going to go and find out. This, this is patently not the way to go. I'm mm-hmm. going to go and speak to people. And I guess that was my own journey with the podcast. I, 
I started my podcast by going around, my podcast, yeah, it does feel strange, by going <laughs> around the country. And so I'm going to meet with people in their places, wherever they are, pastoral stations, farms, Aboriginal communities, uh, just regional communities anywhere, filmmakers, business people, uh, mm. writers, you know, you circle back around to Canberra and Sydney and Melbourne and you meet with people there and just get to know and this is where some of these themes come out. And I think you might be referring to the work of Amanda Carl and The Next Economy. I yeah. yeah, I am. Yeah, Brilliant work and, and their report that's just come out um, you know, as we speak pre-federal election uh, and, of course, she was on Q&A. She was, yeah. She held her own quite well. Yeah, Given the did. others on the um, on the panel, I thought she did quite well. Oh, she did. And, of course, she does because she's not there for herself. Mm. She's there to bring the community voices that she's privileged enough to be amongst to mm. the table, and she does it beautifully. And and that work is def it is it's on the same wavelength, if you like, and and it's it's where I guess more of us would do well to be tuning into. Mm. That that's where it's at. I and given that you're in a similar position where you have the privilege of talking to the people in their places and, and hearing all of their and seeing through their different lenses, what in your mind does life in 50 years look like? Not, not what do you want it to look like, what are you hopeful of, but let's actually stare reality in the eyes and reckon with what we think it will actually evolve to be. Do you think it's going to move us in the direction of, again, what we have shoved down our throats about this sort of tech solution economy? Or do you think in reality we're going to, we're going to have to face the truth of upskilling and connecting with country in order to find a quality of life? Mm-hmm. I feel like for a while I've been saying, and it almost sounds like a cop-out, but I still believe it's true. I've been saying it's up to us. You know, it, mm. it's not written. Um, and I'm, I'm hearing and seeing this more too. People will say that this future is not written. Get involved and, and connect with each other and let's make it the mm. way we would hope to see it um, rather than have it happen to us. So I still say that. I guess behind that, Jade, I could expand and say, um, you know, whether it's your conversation with Tyson Yunker Porter, which we obviously talked about in our mm-hmm. conversation for the regeneration, or whether it's Paul Hawken with regeneration, um, mm-hmm. or Damon Gamo with regenerating Australia, like these people who are in that sort of um, meta position where they where they talk to a lot of other people, and they're they're all saying anything that is an abstraction from country, yeah, is basically on a limited lifespan. That's not to say it's not going to continue to do untold damage to people, so who knows where that leads. But but if there's a certainty in it, and I guess this is coming through increasingly from other examples of civilizations that have collapsed, but peoples that have persisted. So we talk about First Nations here, we can talk about the Mayan people, which I've had some time living with in Central America, they're still there. What's in ruins are the elite structures that had that had become abstracted, disconnected from the core of life. You know, water fundamentally, mm-hmm. but but sort of everything from there really, isn't it? So those, whatever you want to call them, colonial structures might actually be a nice thing to call them. 
elite structures they could be called to. Yeah, it they're they're extremely vulnerable. Um, so you know when Tyson Tyson says to you, we've just got to um, let those who want to pick on on the scraps of that civilization go for it, but let's focus on where the life is, where the water is, even is, as a metaphor. Yeah, where the water flows. Yeah. There, that's right. How are you getting around the abstractions? You know, you're not just a, a, yeah. a free ranger. You, you, you've got responsibilities of a, of a partner and a son and, you, you know, you, you're critically aware of the need for decolonising and the, the need for um, simplification. What are you actually doing on a day-to-day basis that leads to that? That's a big question, Jade. I... It's probably what I think about most and mm. what we attempt most. Um, it's certainly the podcast is part of it because that's been, I guess, what I have taken with me on country to be with people in their places and learned about that reconnection, have been taught about that reconnection mm. um, and found that incredibly powerful I've had to say I've had my eyes opened is an understatement, you know, Um, at the level of sophistication and and connection in, I mean, we might think, of course, it would be in First Nations, but of course, they're dealing with their fragmentations as well that that have come from colonial times, Um, farmers and pastoralists, I mean, where, where it's least expected, perhaps, in remote Western Australia, remote Queensland, you know, remote Northern Territory. Um, so, you know, that's certainly part of our commitment to trying to grapple with this. And and on that front then, as a family, like my wife Olivia does uh, yoga, shiatsu and Chinese medicine, and so she's committed to take her health services out to the regions. Mm. So when we travel with the podcast, we travel with her health services, we, we commit to time in places. So last year was on the Northwest Cape for a bit in Western Australia because our borders were shut still, of course, and then up in the Kimberley out of Derby. And, and these are places, of course, where people don't have those services. So we're sort of offering what we can bring to these places and, and receiving in spades. Um, can't even, you know, underline um, and then, of course, you know, the, the answer sort of spans out, answer to your question spans out in all sorts of directions when we're talking about what does that mean for education of our child. Um, I guess the sourcing of the food might might sort of be a bit more obvious because the people we're connecting with are, are doing that and looking at that, so we sort of play a part in that. You saw our child engorge on the raspberries <laughs> of Black Barn Farm and come up a little rough... <laughs> For the experience. Oh, I didn't see. I didn't you see you coming up rough bit. No, that was the day after. <laughs> yes, but not for long. He's back in and after that. Um, yeah. So there, you know, we could go on, but that's probably the the broad aspect. And I guess, like, I mean, it's probably relevant to say we still feel well, at least for now, that our home is in our place in suburban Perth on the coast here. Mm. Um, this our love for this ocean, particularly. And and so Olivia's sort of looking at how she can develop her offerings, health offerings here, and then I can I obviously have access to the region surrounding me and then there's online mechanisms to get podcast stories 
to keep that flow going. And I, I guess there's probably one last thing to say about it in an immediate sense is that we definitely then look for how can we implement the things that we're learning here where we are. And for us, that includes being in a strata complex of units, right? So mm. how does it, how does what in our minds, I mean, it's a form of co-housing, isn't it? Or, or whatever other sort of label you want to yeah. give to it. But strata, mm. it's got such a bad name. But how, why? <laughs> what, it's a community of people. Let's Let's get together on that and you know in truth we've been working at that for you know the half a dozen years or so that we've been here and and to to our great fortune the, the, there is a community of people who are you know nominally up for it even though the structures don't necessarily assist it mm. um geez there's a metaphor for our society isn't it you find your way through the structures that don't Just assist about you. to say exactly that so structural yep. change is so paramount to any of this ideology actually forming a new reality where, where are the levers like where where do we so I work in our food system change and I can tell you where the food system levers are I know what we need to build a new structure and in my mind food is one of the um, dominant factors in the rest of the structures that are playing out in our world but there's one key thing that it doesn't matter what systems you change um, is required and that's the need to be human and the need to be able to capably and emotionally intelligently navigate the humanness and the complexity that comes with all of that. So, you know, you've just talked about it because you're in a, in a community environment but um, I don't know whether or not you've got any other experience in communities I mean, you seem to have this deep understanding that when you go to people's place, you get more from them, you see more in oh. them, you can have deeper conversations. But what happens when you get these mismatched individuals that are thrown into a place that they don't have a deep connection to? How do you then navigate the complexities of the humanness there? Mm, yeah, it's such a good question. I mean, that's in our early days of being here and, and sort of reasonably excited about certainly excited to be home and reasonably excited because we come back from Melbourne and reasonably excited to sort of embark on that journey of okay what's this who's this community that we're in um and yeah we were we were <laughs> we were rudely awakened to <laughs> what we came to understand as the gulf that exists when the intent isn't there like the the intent of this conglomeration of people here is not to be community it's to well in many cases just to be transient owners don't live here they just you know rent seek <laughs> if we can call it that um literally and you know the broader connotations around that and uh so 19 units three of them are probably owners still i think today including us and that's just because we're fortunate enough to do that um we were still in the heart of the fifo time here in Perth. Oh, so, yes, of course. It's a different yeah. culture. Yeah, yeah. So transients and and just cash, um, not being invested in your place, yeah. So we were rudely awakened by the gulf between intent for sort of operating together and and that reality of of um, where the where Capitalism. The <laughs> yeah, exactly, where the structure and the culture was at. Um, yeah. Our blessing probably was that the bottom fell out of the FIFO thing for a while. So, and then by then we set up different patterns with the people that came in with more of an invested sort of sense of things. So, um, with a bit of luck, 
and a bit of effort, there's a beautiful thing happening at the moment. And, you know, I think COVID partly played into it because we were yeah. grounded more and and needed each other a bit more. Mm. And, and you know, most people I talked with here, I talked about it at the time in, in the Regeneration podcast, that people were talking gardens and rest and reconnection. And mm. this, I mean, I'm not in a radical, you know, a radical heartland here. Um, it was beautiful, <laughs> and and that that continues to be the basis of our connection, and and I guess to our good fortune, the owners on the council of owners in that strata structure uh, still care enough. But that's changed too, you know, as as our effort came in and the, it sort of evolved into a community of people that did start to care more, where they had be, become hands off too. But, sort of um, just taking the cash and, and neglecting the place. Um, and, and, again, not so much because they wanted to, I learned. It's just because that's that's where the wind blew, you know. Mm. There was nothing yeah, to... Yeah, it becomes passive. Exactly. Yeah. And it's the default. And yeah, so yeah. there you go. It yeah. carries you away, even though and you don't easy. really want that outcome. No. Yeah, with passivity comes um, convenience and with convenience comes the ability to to focus on output on a whole heap of other things and so you then get distracted and so it's not that you're completely apathetic or passive all the time it's just that life is designed you know, like current modern day western life is designed to be focused on output at all times and so if you've got something that is relatively passive then and it's working then leave it don't touch it if it ain't broke don't fix it leave it and focus on other things because you need to be as as efficient as you can possibly be mm. Yeah, that, that's that's right. There, and we could go on, couldn't we? The things that sort of will take you again, will abstract you from what's most important, mm -hmm. um, yeah. and your place being number one. You know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think also it's it can be hard. You know, if you make it black and white, and the things that are passive just sit in their box, nice and neatly. Why would you unpack something that's hard? And humans are hard. I say that all the time. Where where the hardest thing you'll do, but it possibly the most rewarding thing you'll do yeah. so you're talking to people all the time and the name of your pod is regen narration and so you know that's not just farming it's a it's about living in a way that is regenerative but um i presented this morning to a, a whole group of investors and we were talking about actually we were talking with a friend of yours tony massey who's going to be on our pod as oh. well who i understand has just been on yours we were yeah. talking about the spectrum of what it means to be regenerative and it's sort of everything from those First Nations um, led thinkers who are intrinsically connected to land and they have that deep philosophical and spiritual foundation through the phases of agroecology and then into that sort of organics movement and then you sort of end up I guess in the paradigm that that is dominated in the Western world of, of that sort of corporatized big ag restoration for profit zone um, and and so, you know, there are there are these discourses, there are these sectors even within the regenerative ag movement. But if I was to overlay that into the regenerative existence movement, and you're talking to people all the time, what what would you say? I mean, are there similarities? Are they so vastly different that they are in completely different paradigms? You know, is there somewhere that it will give us the ability to transition comfortably and easily. Like, what do we do with this? What does regeneration actually mean to you? Mm, yeah. Um, 
is it, did you say, is it comfortable and easy? <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Um, but, but you said it also, I, is that the goal? Really? Is comfort and ease the goal? I don't think, I don't think it's the goal. Uh, we've had so much comfort and ease, haven't we? We're cushy as can mm. be, people mm-hmm. like us anyway, sort of. Yeah, well, we're fat um, on it, aren't we? We're fat on it. And, yeah. uh, and, but you know, okay, so let's use it. Let's, those of us who, who can, um, let's get stuck in because the richness is is in the getting stuck in. And, um, you know, plenty of literature will back this up too. Hey, like it can feel overwhelming and depressing and and stressful, um, but they tend to be symptoms of disengagement, um, more rarely mm. sy- symptoms of engagement. Mm. I guess the qualifier on that would be I feel like you can engage but engage in a way, for example, that I used to more with anger and assumptions like that we were talking about earlier on um, that uh, just sort of generates more anger and assumptions. So, you know, there are means of engaging. And I reckon perhaps that's the answer to your question. It's, it's learning about where the meaningful and uplifting but not rose-coloured, you know, real but mm. uplifting engagement is because it does go together. And I do find, yes, I do find there is there are overlaps and threads that run through all of these things, be it regenerative farming or or the energy system transition stuff, although that can fall prey to the technological. You things. can. Yeah, I was about to say that. Yeah. <laughs> it's That's like you read my face. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Oh, no, I've, 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 uh, I've been, I've got very down at times about that in my journey because I've sort of worked more in that in the past before I headed out on country with people. Um, but I feel like even with energy, it's a bit like, um, with water, you know, Walter Yenner will say, you know, we've, we've got a Kimberley region, spectacular as it is, but desertifying at pace. It's a, it's a national tragedy. And of course the answer then gets spruiked by powerful people that we need dams and irrigation that'll develop it and that'll fix it. It's complete nonsense. Of course, we, we've seen Again, we've been doing that for a long time and we know where it goes. Mm. Um, but Walter Yenner will say, yeah, sure, let's have a 1,000 dams across the Kimberley, the equivalent of in the soils because that's what's possible. Take it back to what it used to be in that sense, like repopulate the landscape in water, with water, produce water if you like, and, and have economies around that. And, if, and that's also true then with energy to a degree. And, and by energy I'm saying... Let's not lose touch of the fact of what you might call has been talked about as biological energy, like just the source of daily sustenance where all the food grows, where all the wild, you know, where everything grows from, sunlight with the water, and and be harvesting that through photosynthesis for all that that regenerates through the system. And then we're living on top of that or with that sort of base of resurgent life um, and and then sure we can entertain if we do that well we'll be able to entertain energy systems that are converting to electricity that are keeping us with an internet you know these things that sure I'd love to have functioning to a degree as well but if we keep attached to the lot again where we started the living systems then we'll do the rest or we've got a shot at doing the rest reasonably well and in a human slash living system scale. 
Mm. Not, for example, let's say, just looking to supplant the current energy sources with renewables. A, it, it's a it's a fool's journey. It's a um, it, it could never be done. But why would you want to? Why why would you seek mm. to have this overblown energy supply um, to no particular positive end? Just cause we can do more. Um, because growth growth yeah. is so dominant in our exactly. in our existence. Yeah. So I feel like there are those there are those threads, and then probably the thing to draw out. And we, again, you could go on into different fields, but um, the the flank to draw in, I think, really powerfully. Again, you alluded to it is narrative, mm-hmm. and I mean we've just we've sort of weaved our way mm-hmm. through a bunch of recrafted narratives just even in this short conversation, mm. but that that's actually key. And it's key in many ways. It's, it's not just key in a, in a sort of a, a lofty way, if that's the right term, or an overarching way. Um, Helicopter. It's not, yeah, I mean, that's important too, like where do we want to go together but uh, and, and how can we get there? Like there are these stories and there's, there are these threads that can sum to that sort of a narrative, but also just your personal narrative. Um just to be able to own your story and claim your story and feel like comfortable in your own story, whatever it is, as opposed to the self-censoring, what have I got to say? What do I know? You know, I can Mm. listen to some amazing person with a podcast and geez, (laughs) just tear into a corner because they've got it sorted, don't they? Oh, wow, what a body of work. Um, I mean, I still feel this every day or every other day, you know, like, Jeez, look at that guy or woman, yeah. what she knows. But just be in the story, be in the moment, be in the place, be in the story, share it, connect. It's a wonder. And be in the truth of that. I feel like the um, perpetuating of bullshit rather than acceptance of its reality is what gets us all a bit unstuck. Totally. I completely agree. Yep. No, there's, there's so much to be said for that um and you know truth is one of those words isn't it these days but it does get bandied and oh, it does make me cringe a bit when i say I come into the truth of it but, but why should it it's yeah it, sh- it should it should be the guts yeah. of everything shouldn't it so yeah, uh, yeah 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 let's own it yep and also head truth heart truth like i, I was saying to a, a close friend of both of ours the other day um oh this is actually what i need to do and i prattled off all the outcomes and she said Oh, yeah, that's what you need to do when you're in your head. What do you need to do when you're in your heart? And I went, mm. oh, God, none of that. And she said, so why don't you just why don't you just admit that? Why don't you, you do what your heart needs you to do? Well, why are you playing this game that isn't real? That's well, that's like, hmm. interesting. That, mm. So that's really interesting to me, Jade, uh, because I feel like in a way, all right, what if I, if I just counter that for the sake of the conversation and say, what if that binary isn't real or true, yeah, yeah. you know? So what does that lead us to think? What is, how does that lead us to contemplate? And I wondered then in that instance, Jade, you felt like the person's question to you did change what you thought was important to get on with. Um, I don't know. What effect does this frame put on that then? Yeah, that's right. It's about, it's about it. Maybe it's just about acceptance. It's about accepting that sometimes we do need to be in our head and there's compromise there because that's about outcomes and output and strategy and practical doing, whereas our heart 
um, you know, it doesn't have time frames that are set hard and fast and it doesn't have always the ability to generate an, a, a life that your head is sometimes curating or cooking up. And so mm. it's, we're, a com- we're all a combination of all of the above and the hypocrisy that goes with that and the joy that comes from the bits that we get right and the challenges that, that are also thrown at us along the way. Mm. Oh, so, yeah, obviously I, I do think a lot about, I do sort of revel in that space that we're in now quite a lot. Because I guess one of my biggest influences in life was an old mentor of mine. I think we probably talked about him, Professor Frank Fisher. Met him 22 years ago. He passed 10 years ago, unfortunately. But he brought to me the sort of breakthrough finding in, in Western knowledge systems that our mind is based in biological reality. Like we're not, it's that whole, you know, Cartesian retorts like we're not separate from nature so Mm. that even our mind you know that we might curse for for abstracting at times (laughs) but but well and good but it's still all of our knowledge is derived from the living world our conceptual systems are based in metaphor because that's all we've got to represent a world we can't access or we can't know as a whole we can't know in absolute terms. Yeah, exactly. That was the mm-hmm. furphy of the, the Western Enlightenment, right, where it, mm-hmm. where it gave us a lot, right? So it's not to throw the baby out with the bathwater, but it overcooked the sense that we, we were just in our heads and, and able to abstract whatever. But we've realised that actually the way we think is derived utterly from biological reality and the way we feel is too. So they're absolutely connected, Completely and inextricable. Completely inextricable. Mm-hmm. So then it's just then it, I think it just becomes a matter of okay, how can we, how can we sense, how can we transcend that binary, and sense our holistic? If I just pull that word, you know, it's got problems. We'll run with it for the moment and and chart a holistic sort of intuitive experiential way forward. And I guess may, maybe that's the the thing. To hone in on is where we don't let our mind run away you keep it in your you and you've said this too hey with regards to education your focus is on experience not excellence and mm. i think that's that's really well encapsulated i love that you're quoting me back to myself today <laughs> <laughs> you've got a better memory than i do <laughs> <laughs> extensive notes jade those notes uh, yeah 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 i know how that goes i do we talked a little bit about community and I, I would love to know what you, um, I don't want to say the word expect, but it is the word I'm drawing on for the sentence. What do you expect the role of community is going to play as we navigate the tumultuous 20 years that sit in front of us the next decade or two? I mean, we talk about community all the time and what it means, but I was at a tiny little community the other day um, talking about why I wrote my book and largely it was spurred on by the experience of the fires in 2019, Mm. 2020. And I'd had such a busy day that it hadn't really even dawned on me that where I was heading was decimated beyond words from those fires. And so when I started to speak about my experience within minutes, quite a proportion of those in the room were fairly distressed and um 
you know, they were, they were all reaching out to each other and patting each other on the shoulder and giving each other hugs and all a bit glassy-eyed and it made me think I'm in a tiny little community here that have been to hell and back. Mm-hmm. These guys know what community is but it doesn't always have to look like that. Mm-hmm. You know, you're in, you've talked about community no. in a strata title apartment block but where do you think community will take us and how will it become more important in the next 20 years? Mm. All the big questions, Jade. (laughs) (laughs) Come on, I know you've got all the answers. (laughs) Well, I've got got musings. Um, But, yeah, the problem is I've got like five at once. There are different different lenses you could bring to that question. But, um, I mean, I think, for example, I mean, firstly, just hats off to the communities that are really doing the answer to your question right there that you just described. Mm. Um, and and through some of the fierce edges that, that yeah, we'll continue to experience. I mean, un- unprecedented fires hit, hit uh, Tanya Massey, for example, in the south mm. of WA when she was still there mm. in January this year. Unprecedented heat wave. My Lord, we had twice as many days over 40 in that southern region in Western Australia than we have had before in in the summer Um, and then the fires came from that and we dodged bullets in many ways but towns were just, you know, a wind change away from being wiped out. Mm. Um, So it's coming and more of us are going to feel the sharp edges. Uh, So what is being embodied by those communities is sort of already the answer but I see it in so many many ways, Jade. Like even I received a message from a listener – last week saying she'd listened to the episode with Tanya and a couple of others and was so moved by it. She's at a farm in Braidwood and she runs a horse riding school and and, uh, regenerative agriculture and a whole bunch of other stuff out of it. It's quite a story. And 90% of that was lost with the fires. Yeah, it's another case in point. Mm. And and she's reaching out to me to say thanks for the podcast because while re- through drought and then the fire and while recovering, it's been something, a rich source of life for her. And and mind explosion, she said, <laughs> which I sort of I'm, I mildly feel good about. A touch of mind exploding is probably what we need, but um, in a nurtured way. And she seems to be feeling that, which is great. But then she's saying, okay, if you find more people like you like you're saying you are and Tanya's saying she's looking for opportunities. We've got opportunities here, um, multiple sort of enterprise opportunities and space for other people if they want to try theirs in our space. So if you co- when you come across those people, let us know. And, well, there's, there's community that's not actually in place. Well, not physically yes. in place, is it? But, but yes. very much in terms of heart connection, absolutely yes. in place. And, as, as someone who's ended up doing more podcasting than I ever thought I would, that's kind of nice to know that it matters. It, when, when, the, when place-based everything is the, is the main thing, it's kind of nice to know that actually the media mm. that, can, that can play a role in that is here and, and in truth we probably need more of that. So, yeah, there's, there's multiple layers I think we could we could flesh that out. But suffice to say, Jade, I think community is what it's all about. Um, community that gets to know each other in their places 
and across their places. I mean, I love the way how Damon Gamow in Regenerating Australia, the film that's just coming out, um, sort of draws that thread back to the way it used to be. Mm. You know, communities everywhere, but interconnected. Mm. Yeah, I feel that's like I say this a bit on the pod, that's that mutual obligation and it's that reciprocity mm. that um, is about being connected respectfully to something that is bigger than any one of us and really what we're all contributing to is the sum of the parts and we all have our part to play and that doesn't mean there's not room to move in that that sphere but you're not putting yourself first you're putting the greater good first Tyson with you again said something like mutual aid is the foundation of the of a real economy and real mm-hmm. governance mutual mm-hmm. aid bang yeah, and, yeah, and that, was... that's consistent with systems thinking and, you know, all this other stuff, holistic thinking that's getting the Guernseys these days big time. Mm. I mean, I remember I got started in it when it wasn't yet, so this, it's quite brilliant to see. But, but really the essence of it and, you know, what Tyson's trying to get at is that it's the in-between that we're talking about. I mean, we, you talk about systems thinking, you're not actually talking about the systems. You're talking about the relationship between the systems or between the living beings we're conceptualising as systems and the structures, um, it's the in-between bits. So it's how do you cultivate the relationships, mm. um, mutual yeah, aid. It's the and, relational. Yeah, it is. And, and that's where the... so nuanced depending on where you are and the time of the day that is it and what other global factors are going on and where the influences are coming from and where the fragility sits. And, you know, that requires serious um, ability for adaptation and open-mindedness and we just haven't been encouraged to do either of those things. Yeah, that's right. Well, that comes almost comes back to your experience versus excellence in schooling, but you could say it with, with regards to healthcare, like everything as well. Um, mm-hmm. if, you're, if you're engaging with the living world, each other and the rest of the living world, versus aspiring to I'm going to be this gun author or podcaster <laughs> or business person or whatever yes. or, or regenerative superstar saviour, you know, yeah, which you be. alluded to. We're seeing some of that. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's not it. That's not it. That's not the answer. Yeah, yeah. No. And I think it's all the foibles that are in between those in-between yeah. bits. You know, it's acknowledging the straight-up hypocrisy and the the challenge that it is to be true all the time and um, totally and I, yeah it, totally and I think I think I mean I had a couple of words really echoing in my mind as you were talking before and they were listening and learning hmm. and yeah I, just, I feel like that's if that's the lens you take like the filmmaker I talked about at the top you know just go to the cold communities go to them shut up and listen, or, or even the podcast guest I just had, just put out this yeah. week, Agostino Petroni, from an, an Italian guy talking about some Mediterranean stories which were fascinating and highly instructive for some of the stuff we're grappling with here. And, and, and he, said, he said similar things He's, he, around um, you know, he talked about going to Latin America and, and being so keen as a young guy that we're going to film a documentary and there's so many things to find out and ask and shoot and record. And, <laughs> and then he realised it took him about a week, he said, which I thought was a fair effort. That's to, pretty quick. Exactly, exactly. Just yeah, to shut impressive. up. Shut yeah. up. And he said, let the people guide you in their territory. Mm. And I think that applies as much to Indigenous folk as to, you know, the pastoralists or farmers I'll meet. 
Mm. Um, and and anyone, anyone, like some of the business people that are now talking to these regenerative folk who are, who are pioneering ways in spite of the current structures, like just go and listen to them. Don't tell them what models they need to fit. Mm. Listen and learn. Yeah, deep listening, I think, um, requires a bit of awkward silence. You need to be really comfortable to be happy well with said. awkward silence because sometimes when you shut up and listen, you shut up and listen for the first three minutes and then you go, oh, okay, well, now it's my turn to talk, so I will. But actually, if you take a deep breath and push through that awkward silence and give people a little bit longer, they'll start again on the next on the next bit and, you know, they start to gain a bit of confidence in actually telling you truly and, and really honestly what needs to be told. Mm, no, really well said. And I'm, I'm reminded of Anne Paulina's words in the, from the Kimberley, an elder in the Kimberley. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and she was saying that, um, you know, plenty of, plenty of Westerners rock up to their communities, right, be they scientists or, or you know, um, big money people or whatever. And she's saying, you can rock up and, and easily hear what you want to hear. But if you mm. want to hear what they know, what these people actually know, which is mm-hmm. huge and incredible and millennia in the development, then you need to sit with them and wait. And it's the same story that Agostino learned in Latin America. Mm. You need to sit and wait. And, and it's, it's not awkward for them. It's no. not, and that's interesting, right? Why is it awkward for us? What, so what have we been yeah. enculturated? Yeah. So yeah. It, there's, there's definitely, again, it's one of the, been one of my, in fact, Tanya Massey said to me a couple of years ago, what's been the biggest thing out of the podcast for you, you reckon? And I was like, oh, how to listen, hands down, how to listen. Mm. Um, yeah, so it's been a, continues to be one of my big lessons and I guess partly because I believe in it, I think it is sort of fundamental mm. to it. And it comes naturally to some more than others. I would say Tanya is one of the deepest listeners mm. I know. True. And um, so she does it by default. But interestingly, when she does then open her mouth, everybody shuts up and listens. Yeah, no bang. It's it's the value. She doesn't make noise then, ever. Isn't it? Yeah. Mind mm. you, mind you, and I think she'll appreciate me saying this, when we talked for the podcast then it's set back at Seven Park after she'd returned home. I don't know how many yes. of your listeners will be across telling you. I mean, you'll talk to her soon I'm on the talking podcast. with her soon, so they'll get yeah. to know her pretty well. Yep. Yeah. And a, and a really heartbreaking turn to her story why she's no longer in Western Australia. And, and I just happened to be close enough to Seven Park after visiting you that yes. we got up there and she had just got home. And we talked about where things went terribly pear-shaped in mm. the West. And it wasn't with the land. It was with the people mm. next door, right, mm. That's right. Who, who were family of her partners, layered and difficult and full-on. Um, and, and so we talked about some of the learning for her out of that. And Tanya says too that I realised the times when I spoke too much, you know, I, when I didn't listen enough. And because often, of course, when you let stuff out, you can't take it back. Like it, it does its damage, it does its thing, and you can't mm. undo that. And, and trust breakdowns, you know, that, that occurred she saw her part in that because she let fly with comments that she sees were just going to fracture more, not mend more. Mm. So some of her learning out of that, even as someone we might look to and, and say she's setting a bit of a standard, she still feels like she's on that path too. 
Yes, but interestingly, she's um, brave enough and competent enough, emotionally competent enough to acknowledge very quickly soon after the event yeah, that there also. are learnings for her to take out of it, as there are learnings for all of us to take out of the way we interact and navigate in this world every day. And I, I mm. think, you know, as you get older, you start to realise how little you know, and that's not a statement that hasn't been said before. People say it all the time. But um, some days you get to the end of the day and you think, boy, barely got through today by the skin of my teeth because actually I know nothing and it's not that I'm pretending to be something I'm not. It's that if you really look around, you realise just how inept and how insignificant we are and actually you're only as strong as all the other tiny pieces that interact with you and form, you know, the narrative or the identity or the outcome that you were participating in. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think of Tyson once again where he said, and, you know, you, you obviously felt this edge acutely in your conversation too, but <laughs> I don't think he said these words with you, but but it's the message that we're nothing. You're basically, on your own, you're nothing. We're nothing <laughs> special at all. And I'm nothing special, he says, but together we can be something special. Yes. And and you're right. Oh, to learn that earlier in life. But I think that's, yes. where, that's where some of what we've talked about, you talk about often, the rites of passage Mm. that sort of guidance and ritual perhaps the restoration of those things can help us learn mm. this earlier yeah, and not go into our experience again they're experiential as opposed to academic explanations yep. yeah so all three i say all three my, both of my twins have now been on their rites of passage um pathways program with their dad charlie and when the first one went, they were instructed not to share it using words so that it didn't minimise the experience. Mm. But now what I've noticed is that they're still not discussing it openly with the rest of the family because that's just not what you do. Again, we're not minimising the experience using an intellectualised mm. word. But they now have these nuanced conversations with each other and these sort of intimate moments that have bigger meaning and I can see that they have bigger meaning I don't understand it because I wasn't there and I haven't partaken in those same rituals but there is now so much more and you know it was a week for each child so imagine living a life that was wow. really entrenched in multi multi multi-generational ritual that just happened in conjunction with the things that were bigger than us there would be so much depth oh. of meaning and oh. um, things that held us Oh, geez, you've said that well. Yeah. And I think, you know, again, when we talk about that false binary of head and heart, mm. um, you know, we talk about what, what we're learning now as Westerners about song lines mm. as, as we're listening more and, and learning about these things, how incredibly intellectually sophisticated they were and are. Yes. But, or and, setting up the conditions the ground for the sorts of experiences you're talking about where language is left to one side and it's song and it's dance and it's and it's you know everything else it's but it's all together it's it's head and heart and everything else it's yeah, so yeah it, that's huge i reckon i mm. reckon that you're understanding yeah you're understanding some of the full kit and and i guess how rites of passage have worked well, have served well um, mm. and and evolved over time from people who've been 
on this country for. To add a little laugh to this, Jade, we watched Star Wars with, with Yeshi, so our eight-year-old. <laughs> the original, oh wow, not the first ever, the original, 1977, the one we saw when we were kids. Maybe. Well, I didn't. I haven't watched any of them. Oh, wow, there know, you go. I'm, okay. letting my, I'm letting my generation down speaking of rites of passage. <laughs> well, this is the thing. The mythological, the archetypal frameworks for the original ones mm-hmm. was everything. It's so strong and powerful. And, um, and yes, um, with regards to this rights of passion stuff too, but there's, so you're not going to know what I'm talking about, but others might. That are <laughs> Everyone else will, all our listeners <laughs> will. So he's watching, he's watching, you know the character, obviously, Darth Vader. Yes. And you might know Obi-Wan Kenobi, who was in the yes. very first one. Yeah, yeah. And, and these are the ones, so Obi-Wan was the master to Darth Vader and others, and, and, and he's this connection back to this old lineage, right, that's just been tossed to the wind by modern you know, life and its agendas. And there's this moment where where um where um they're coming together and and Obi-Wan ends up on the Death Star, right? The Empire's Death Star with where Darth Vader is. And Darth Vader's there and they're they're trying to track the people who've, you know, who have infiltrated the Death Star. And Darth stopped. He's gone, I have I'm feeling something. I'm feeling something that I haven't felt in a very long time. So he's already got a sense of his old master being in the space. And I just feel like that's, you know, there, there was sort of, <laughs> on it went, it had these sort of realm to it. But it, it touches on, you know, we, we can have a laugh about it, but it touches on what was special about that those productions back then, but also Minnie's experience that, that yeah, there's, you know, the force, yeah. there's, a, there's a bigger thing and yeah. it's real. And, and and we're so connect- ignorant to the reality of it or the truth of it because we're not practicing it. That that it means there. Archie Roach said a beautiful thing at the end of one gig once. He said, he "said the old people are around the fire waiting for us to come home." It's like, oh man, it's there. Just have to sit down at the, well again, sit down at the fire and listen. Mm. Mm. Oh, as you said that, I got goosebumps. Mm. Me too. I never so I know that, that um, I know that I've still got goosebumps. They're going down to the tips of my toes. Actually, that's a very unusual um, experience. You, music is a massive thing for you, and I know that that's that's sort of what's pushed you off on the path that you've um, you've navigated and you've ended up on. And you ask everybody what their favourite piece of music is. And actually when you asked me this, it brought me a, a bit unstuck because it was a, a really emotional piece of music that I chose that was really yeah. representative of something that was really big in my life. But um, if there was a piece of music, and I don't know, I haven't given you any head, heads up about this. It was just a, <laughs> I've written the word music on my piece of paper in front of me. If there was a piece of music that represented where we're headed, mm. what would it be? Wow, it represents where we're headed. Oh, geez, my mind's gone off in a whole bunch of directions. You know, you know, I think my answer to that would be, yeah, it's it's a band from Arnhem Land that is a bunch of young blokes. They just performed at WOMED where I was 
lucky enough to be hosting Tony is Dead, Charles and, and Bruce Pascoe and Anika Molesworth at a, on a panel. So we were at this festival and this band, I had already come across because of our time in the Kimberley last year, they're huge up north. Group of young fellas, half Aboriginal, half white fella. Um, the singer is, I think, the nephew of Unipingu of Yothi Yindi fame. And man, can he sing and write too. And they have just absolutely captured my world. They are incredible. King Stingray is what they're called. And sure enough, on the plains of Adelaide, on Ghana country, with all these you know, massive modern stage, they're pumping out their stuff and singing in language from there down in Adelaide across the plains and it is towering and magic and I'm just I don't even know what's being said right and it's not even from there and I'm just rooted to to my you know the place I'm standing and cannot move and the sun you know the gleaming late afternoon sun shining right on their faces as they do it and I feel like that's a bit of a metaphor as an answer to your question um, it's the coming together across culture. It's tapping into the deeper feeling place and how language and mind and song lines connect to that, like not separate from it. It's speaking words, but it's more than that. Like it's everything and it's so moving. You know it's true. Uh, that would be my answer right now, I reckon. Well, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to I'm going to Google <laughs> and King's find Stingray. that. Yeah. Wow, yeah. that's incredible. Uh, is there anything I haven't asked you that you need to share in order to make this a complete conversation? Well, we can have a and this might speak to me being a podcaster as well, right? I've got I've got the uh, the stitch up in mind. Like how do we round it out at the how end? How do we wrap this up, of course? <laughs> <laughs> and you did mention that Prime Ministerial Award at the top. Yes, and I wanted to ask a, how the heck that, that came about. This is incredible. We can Tell have a chuckle. About this. <laughs> yeah, well, this is a funny story. We can have a bit of a chuckle about it because um, in a way it's ridiculous that I got that. <laughs> in most ways it's ridiculous. And as a result, I actually kept it buried. I never made, whoops, I never made a, um, a big deal Talking of it. Talking with his hands. Talking with my hands, yep, giving it away. Um and it was only in recent times I thought, as I became a podcaster, I thought, yeah. what does that mean? Like an influencer? What the hell is that? You know, so yeah, yeah. Like, do I have any substance? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> what, am, what have I got to show for anything I've ever done? Um, and that sort of flowed back to the top a bit. Um, by, and, you know, in genuine terms, by way of trying to be able to be, it's, and one of my aspirations, to be able to be taken seriously, listened to by anybody. And, and almost everybody, in a way. Uh, I would love if that's true, um, that I'm not boxed in, a, in any particular corner and, and, you know, a whole bunch of people wouldn't even have a look. I'd hate that thought, love the other thought. So anyway, it resurfaced a bit. So you brought it up. The funny thing was I was given this award by John Howard in well, actually by my local rep, my local MP. 
John Howard wouldn't have had anything to do with it, obviously, but he was Prime Minister at the time. And I had just been in Latin America for a few, actually, I think only two years at that stage. So I wasn't actually here to accept it, but word came through. And I, and I think what happened was Australian Volunteers International, I think, or someone from there, nominated me. I say I think because I didn't actually go through them. I, I went on an independent. I just went. Again, so perhaps similar to a lot of the themes I hear about on the podcast too, like just going to just do go. it. What yeah. you've done it, just go and do it and yeah. then see what happens. And, and, wow, what do you know? Actually, reality does seem to conspire your way when you, when you do that a bit. And it certainly happened with me. And then so I think someone threw a nomination in, even though I wasn't sort of formally attached to anything. And, and I ended up getting this award. So on the one hand, I felt like how funny and ridiculous that I know it must have come from someone who actually knew what I was doing because I wasn't attached to any institution. And what I was doing was learning the lessons of listening and just being with in place. You know, I was a rural area in Guatemala um, with the Mayan people that I talked about earlier mm. and, and then f- spending enough time to know what it is that they value and trying to help them achieve that and in so doing be gifted everything in mm. turn. So it actually does mean something to me in that sense of what it, in, what it means to me. Learning to be a deep listener that allows you to be a non-polarising individual that can share thoughts that are worth sharing. Bang. Because if you believe, again, right where we started, that our divisions are usually um, blown up and and um, accentuated by particular powerful interests a lot of the time anyway. Sure, we play our role, don't they? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's not, don't let's negate responsibility. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But but that actually um, there are people who can help us navigate that to great connective and regenerative possibility. Um, and we can choose that. So believing that, yeah, they, you summed it up perfectly. Nothing quite like being reminded that one of our most powerful things we can do is to simply shut up and listen. Thanks, AJ, for your words of wisdom. Thanks, too, to our pod partners, Hidden Sea Wines, removing 10 plastic bottles from the ocean for every one bottle of their wine sold, to Wolf Australia and... Nutrisoil. Next week, I'm going to introduce you to a woman living like Tomorrow Matters and doing bloody amazing things in an industry not ordinarily renowned for pairing back or thinking simple and considering its legacy. We're talking about the wedding industry, but actually, we deep dive really quickly into the analogies that weddings play for the way in which we live our lives every day. So join me. Until then, go gently. <laughs> <laughs>